chapter 14, there's a, an incredible group of people, a group of people that are called the 144,000, the very famous as far as biblical prophecy is concerned. And let me just take just a second to make sure you understand who they are. This won't take long, but, but just hang with this. God's always had a plan, and ever since God has had a plan, there's been somebody trying to come against it, and that, of course, is Satan. But God's plan was to use Adam, and, of course, Satan came against him, and Adam blew it. But God still had a plan, and he was going to use the nation of Israel to fulfill that plan, and the nation of Israel, they blew it, okay? And so then after they blew it, and then they rejected the Messiah, God planned to use the church. And right now, we could say that the church is blowing it. You, you guys even got the verb tense right, man. We're, we're blowing it big time. And it's, and it's really not very funny when you really stop to see what's, what's taking place. Because something that you need to understand is that the Bible teaches that we are presently living in the last days. There's absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever if you are a believer in the Bible because the Bible prophesies the things that would be taking place on this planet just before the return of Christ. And I'm just telling you, y'all, they're all being fulfilled right before our very eyes. We are presently living in, according to Revelation 2 and 3, the seventh and last period of church history. There is a, a word that we use to describe this period. It's called the Laodicean period. It's represented in a letter that our Lord wrote to the church of Laodicea. But it's representative of the period of time that you and I are presently living in. So make sure you file that in your thinking today that the Laodicean period is that period that we would refer to biblically as the last days. Okay, so here we are. We're in the church age and God's plan is to use the church to carry out his plan. And we're blowing it. But what's getting ready to happen on this earth is this group of people that's presently alive on this planet is going to be raptured off of the face of this earth, and there is going to be a group of people that God is going to use to carry out his plan. And during the tribulation period, that group of people that he is going to use to carry out his plan is the, the 144,000. And the thing that is so beautiful about this group of people is that they are the first group of people who will ever have graced this planet that ever did the job the way that God wanted it to be done. And I mean every single minute of every single day, of every single week, of every single month, for seven years, they are going to carry out God's plan to the fullest. And in Revelation 14, what God's doing is he's showing us the characteristics of this group. And what we're doing here is right now, as Laodiceans, as believers in these last days, we're trying to look at this group of people, the 144,000 and what they'll be doing, and we're trying to learn from this group. And one of the things, one of the characteristics that stands out, at least in my mind, probably above all of the others, we haven't seen too many, we've been stuck on this for so long, but one of the things that just captivates me about this group of people is they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. That will be true of them during the tribulation period. And in Revelation 14, when God brings them before his throne in eternity, no matter where the Lamb goes, the 144,000 are sure to follow. They are right there. And what we're trying to do is as followers of Jesus Christ in these last days we're trying to learn from them what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and Jesus had some very clear things to tell us about what it would mean what he said that if anybody would like to be a follower here's the deal there's two prerequisites number one you must it wouldn't just be nice you must deny yourself and secondly you must take up your cross and for you folks who are guests with us today we want to just make sure that you understand that what Jesus said there is really monumental because of what he tells us is characteristic of those of us in these last days because what it says in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 
is that what is true in these last days is that men are lovers of their own their own selves now, now folks we've got to come to the place to where we can admit what the Bible says is true every single one of us I don't care if you're saved lost or otherwise you love yourself and you do yourself a big favor to get that honest with God and with yourself to say I love myself and come to understand that in order to follow Christ you must deny yourself but understand the two are mutually exclusive you cannot love yourself and at the same time be denying yourself you can't be denying yourself and at the same time be loving yourself it's it's an impossibility and the other prerequisite he says is take up your cross and what God says is characteristic of those of us in these last days listen to what God says about us he says that we love pleasure more than we love him and so if we're going to deal with this thing of being a follower of Jesus Christ and we're really going to do this thing the way that we're supposed to do we're going to have to come against the grain of what God says is characteristic of us in these last days and so it's very important what we're talking about because there are millions of people running around claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ that have never denied themselves and have never taken up their cross and some of them are us and that's why we've been 15 weeks talking about this subject because there's no really no sense for us to, to find out all the ins and outs of the 144,000 and some of us not even be true followers of Jesus Christ and so we've been we've been looking at what this this whole thing of taking up your cross means look at letter a on your review there we talked about the reconciliation of the cross the, the fact that when God created us he created us to have a love relationship with him and we were in a, a harmonious relationship with him but when we chose sin folks understand this and that is true the Bible says of every single one of us when we chose sin it was a move away from God it broke the relationship that we had with him and now our sin separates us from God the need that we have is to be reconciled to be brought back into a harmonious relationship and what we've been talking about and what we've seen from the book of Colossians chapter 1 is that the only way listen the only way not the Baptist way or anybody else's way the only way according to the Word of God that you can be reconciled to God is through his through his cross it is the only way the cross is what took our sin and brings us back into that relationship with God and then we look secondly at the explanation of the cross what you need to understand is when you come to that cross to be reconciled if you really are coming to that cross what happens is as you reach out to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ on his cross his cross becomes what our cross and listen you don't hear much of that in Christian circles today and that's why we took the time to just explain what it really means to come to Christ now we're gonna look further at what it means and I'd like for you to to turn to the book of first Corinthians as we talk about letter C the nullification of the cross the nullification of the cross now, now, now listen carefully as you're turning because we are Laodiceans and because we love ourselves and because we love pleasure more than God what we want to do is we want to take the cross out of this whole thing we, we want to take the cross out of coming to Christ and, and Paul talks about in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17 Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel now watch this not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect and what he is describing is what is taking place right now on this planet at least in America I can guarantee you what is happening is because men love themselves and love pleasure we're trying to talk to the world and present to the world Jesus 
But we are trying to use the wisdom of words. We're trying to make it flowery. We're trying to make it culturally relevant. We're trying to make it acceptable. And what Paul says here is when you do that, you make the, God, the, the cross of Christ of none effect. And look at verse 18. Look at what it says. That cross is the power of God unto salvation. And what's scary is that people are coming in the Laodicean age to quote-unquote receive Christ, but they're coming to a Christ that is powerless to save because it's a Christ that is presented without a cross. And you know why Laodiceans want to present a Christ with the wisdom of words without a cross? It's because of verse 18 says, the world looks at that as foolishness. The world looks at us like we're idiots because we believe that and because we preach that. And you see, Laodiceans, because we love ourselves so much, we don't want the world to look at us and make us feel like we're stupid. And what's happening is people who claim to be followers of Christ come to a false Christ because it's a Christ that you can't find in the Bible. And so we've moved on now to letter D, the crucifixion of the cross. And really what this is is a further explanation of what it really means to take up your cross. And what we've seen is that there's two operations of the cross. One of the operations of the cross is that the cross that Jesus Christ died on is the cross that brings us eternal salvation the other operation of the cross is that cross that Jesus died on becomes our cross and it becomes that which provides us our daily sanctification we come to Christ's cross and just like Christ took that cross and put it upon his back and bore the instrument of his own execution in that same way we are to take up our cross the instrument of our own execution and we die upon that cross and we talked about as as believers in these last days the fact that man we want to know him like Philippians 3:10 says and we want to experience the power of his resurrection But we're scared to death to even talk about the rest of the verse. Because Philippians 3.10 says, And the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his, unto his death. And, and so we're all about praying, Oh God, I want to know you, and oh God, I want to experience the power of the resurrection in my life. But I want to do it without suffering and I want to do it without dying and we just tried to just step back and, and, and be reminded of the fact that the reason that the power of God could be made manifest in raising Jesus Christ from the dead and the, the, the power of the resurrection was experienced there because Jesus died and the same is going to be true for us, folks. We will never know the power of His resurrection in our life until we do the very same thing, until we say, until we die. And I want us to continue this morning in Galatians chapter 6. And I want, you, I want to show you, Galatians chapter 6. Let me show you Paul's attitude toward the cross and Paul's attitude toward compromising the preaching of the cross because of, of what the world thinks about it. Galatians chapter 6. And you'll notice in verse 12 that the context is really the same as we were just talking about in 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. You see it there? People making the gospel something different than the preaching of the cross because of of some persecution they fear someone may meet out on them if they keep the issue, the cross. Same context, and watch what Paul says in verse 14. But, look at it. 
But God forbid that I should glory, save, or accept, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what Paul's saying here, folks? Now listen to it. He says, look at the first two words, God forbid. I, listen, the man is from the depths of his being saying, Oh God, spare me. Deliver me. May there never, ever, ever be a way that I would renounce the truth and the power of the gospel because of any glory that I'm wanting to receive from the world or because of any persecution that I'm afraid of receiving from the world. Paul is saying, Lord, I, I know that there's only one thing that rescued me out of the enslavement in my life to self and from the bondage of the world system of evil and sin that held me within its grasp and almost sent me to hell and I realized that delivering power was made manifest through the cross and in light of that Paul is saying listen there's a lot of things that we could rejoice in there's a lot of things that we could glory in but he says God forbid there would ever be anything other than that old, wooden, rugged, cursed, blood-stained cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and notice, look at verse 14. N notice that Paul doesn't simply say that he gloried in the Lord Jesus Christ, though he most certainly did with everything that was within him. But he says he gloried in the cross the Lord Jesus Christ you see folks it wasn't the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that saved us it was his death it wasn't the miracles that he performed or the wonderful sermons that he preached or the the incredible attributes that he possessed that had the ability to wash away our sins it was one thing it was the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on that cross. The songwriter says, what can wash away my sin? Answer it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And yeah, the history of grace begins earlier and goes on later. But buddy, right in the middle stands that cross and grace is certainly one of God's most beautiful attributes and grace was one of God's attributes before the cross but listen without that cross there's no such thing folks as saving grace you understand that saving grace required the holy precious blood of God shed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says that it was God's grace that caused Jesus Christ to taste death for every man when he died that death on the cross. And again, listen, without that cross, in spite of his wonderful, miraculous, powerful, beautiful life, Without that cross, folks, every single one of us would still be bound in our sins and would die in our sins, and every single one of us would split hell wide open. You see, that's why Paul says in verse 14, God forbid that I would ever, ever, ever glory in anything other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ which in the eyes of the world as we just saw in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 in the eyes of the world that cross was the absolute lowest and the most inglorious part of everything that was anything about the Lord Jesus Christ but in reality it is the very power of God in salvation and I mean listen it's just a beautiful declaration Paul makes here in verse 14 when he says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you'll notice the verse doesn't stop there. Paul goes on in verse 14 to let us know something monumental about this thing of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and this thing of His cross becoming 
our cross? Because I think one of, one of, the, one of the, the biggest questions to answer in this, this whole thing about what it means to take up his cross is, how do you know? I, I mean, folks, listen, we're, we're lay out of scenes. We've seen the things that are characteristic of us. How do you know when you've really taken up his cross, as Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 says? And how do you really know that you've been crucified with Christ, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2? In verse 20. I mean, what, what are we really looking for? Now, we've been preaching this for a long time now, but what are, what are we looking for? What are, what are the telltale signs that, that let us know that we really have entered into that death life that Jesus and, and Paul talked about? And, and now listen, this is, this is very important. Because, you see, for us just to preach about this thing of taking up the cross, if we don't know what it's going to mean for us to have actually done that. If we don't know what the telltale signs are, I just promise you, we're going to live a frustrated life because we're never going to know if we really got there. And something else that makes this very important is because of what the Lord said is true of us in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. What it says is we as believers in these last days have this incredible ability to think that we're more spiritual than we are, that we're further down the road than we are, and, and I'm afraid if we don't recognize what it really means to be crucified with Christ, and we haven't identified what it means to take up our cross, I'm, I'm just afraid that a lot of us are going to think that we have arrived there when the opposite is really true. And Jesus said, you think, talking about us, you think that you're rich and increased with good and have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And, and so in light of that, I think we need to make sure that we understand what it is we're looking for. What is it going to mean in my life? What am I looking for to be characteristic in my life when I've come to the place that I've crucified with Christ and I'm daily taking up my cross, as Jesus says? And Paul shows us in Galatians 6.14 that there's a, there's a simple little biblical test that you can give yourself. Okay, so let's, let's keep it simple. Let's don't make it hard. Okay, now you, you remember that when our, our Lord died on the cross, the Bible says that he was crucified between two what? Two thieves. So, and here's a little Bible trivia for you. Does anybody know the names of the two thieves? Anybody? I'll give you $500 if you can do it. 500, I mean it, I will. And I'm pretty safe on it because the Bible doesn't tell you what their name is. <laughs> All it tells us in Mark chapter 15 and verse 27 is that the cross Jesus was crucified on was in the center and one thief was on his right, on his right hand, and the other on his left. Okay, now that's the way that it happened historically. Okay, you got it? But practically speaking, what Paul lets us know here in verse 14 is that when the cross upon which our Lord was crucified has been personalized in our lives, when that cross has been actualized, when we've really taken up our cross and it's been put in, in, in its rightful place at the center of our lives, what he tells us here is that the result is going to be that there will be two thieves that will be crucified in our lives. And check this out. In this case, he does give you their names. Okay, look at verse 14 again. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, here it comes now, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And our Lord's letting us know here through Paul that when his cross has really become our cross, when the cross of Christ has taken the central place in our hearts so that we glory in the cross and we, we glory in the cross alone, like Paul says here in verse 14, what he says is that there are two thieves that will be crucified on either side of that cross. One thief is called the world and the other thief is called self. And folks, now, now make sure yeah, this is this is more than just a cute little outline here. You need to understand that those two things will rob you 
of the abundant life that Jesus talked about. They are thieves. And when his cross has its rightful place, those thieves are crucified. So now listen, if you, if you want to know if you're where you need to be spiritually in relation to the cross, all Paul is really saying here is just, just look out in either direction and see if self is hanging out on one side and see if the world is hanging over there on the other. You say, okay, well, what, is, what does Paul mean when he says that by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, look at it again, the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Let's just talk about that first one for a minute. The world being crucified unto me. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's, let's remember some of the, the things that the Bible tells us about the world. Okay? Get ready. Here we go. First of all, the Bible tells us that the world is the whole system of evil that is against God over which Satan is the head. You got that? It's the whole system of evil that is against God over which Satan is the head. That's that system that Paul calls in Galatians 1-4, this present evil world. It's that system that Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 4-4 when he said that Satan is the God of this world and that system that Jesus was talking about in John 12 and verse 31 when he called Satan the prince of this world but not only that the Bible tells us that everything that is in that evil world system breaks down into three simple things in other words all that is in the world is comprised of three things first John 2 16 says listen to it for all for all that is in the world, and here it is, the full meal deal, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And just so that we would never have any doubts or any question whatsoever, John ends the verse out by saying that none of those three things that comprise the whole system of evil is of the Father, he says, but it is of the world but not only that the Bible says that before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior this thing called the world represented a lifestyle that God said characterized our lives Ephesians 2 2 says that we walked according to the course of this world a course that Satan himself as the God of this world very strategically and deliberately established and led us through and listen his goal his his purpose the design of this whole system according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 was to conform us to his system you know what Satan has tried to do with this evil system called the world he's tried to get worldliness to be in us and and on us he's tried to to get worldliness to be a part of the fabric of our thinking and just to be the the natural flow of our lifestyle and just to absolutely engulf us to conform us to this world to that system of evil and on top of all of that the bible says in second timothy chapter 2 verse 26 that that system of evil is what Satan used as a snare or a trap to take every single one of us captive. Listen to the way the verse says, at his will, he snared us. And you know the reason that it was such a snare? Listen, before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the world was where we found our identity. The world was where we found our, our esteem and finding advancement and approval and recognition in that system is what drove us. It, it was our motivation for living. And because it was, you know what we did out in that world system, the Bible says? What, what it says is we sought the things in, a, in that system 
that would make us just as comfortable as we could be and bring us as much satisfaction and pleasure as we could have and make us all look as successful as we could possibly look. And in all, folks, it was that system that blinded us to God and almost sent every single one of us to hell. And yet what's wild is that as evil as it all sounds, it's that system that holds such an appeal to us. James 4, 4 says that though the world system is the enemy of God in our lost condition, we were its friends. We were friends with the world. God said that we had a friendship going with it. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says that, that though that world system is, is contrary to God's will and everything that God is, what it says is that before we came to know Christ, we loved the world, along with all of the enticements and allurements called the, the things of this world. And what's so sad is that it's that system that even now that we are saved, and even though by His mercy and His grace He's translated us, uh, translated us out of that the kingdom of darkness, it's that kingdom, y'all, that still has such a pull on us. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, it's that power, that, that force, that, that while our spirits are, are seeking the things above, it's that thing that seeks to keep us earthbound and strapped down here in what God calls in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, into the temporal realm into the things which are seen, the things down here in, in the world system, rather than the things that are in the eternal realm, the things that are out of this world, the things that you can't see with physical eyes but are seen only through the eyes of faith. We still look at all of this stuff and we're being pulled and to keep down in that, that system. But, but check this out. What, what Paul is saying here in, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, what he's saying is that once the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up into the, the center of his life, what Paul is saying here is that it caused the world, the world system that we just spent all that time trying to explain, Paul said it caused it to be crucified unto him. Okay, so, so now we, we know what the world is. But what does it mean? to be crucified to that world. What does it mean to come to the place that the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is, is so central in your life that it causes that extremely powerful and dominating system that we just talked about to be crucified unto you? And, I, and man, I, I love this. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying that the cross of Christ had been so actualized so personalized and so realized in his life that the world had become nothing but a despised, bloody, lifeless, cursed thing to him. I know you're writing in your notes. Are you hearing that? For that world system of evil to be crucified, it means that the cross has become so actualized, so personalized, so realized in our lives that the world becomes nothing but a despised, bloody, lifeless, cursed thing to you. And because that is what happened in, in the life of the Apostle Paul, listen, Paul had come to the place to where he didn't give two flips anymore about the world's approval. That's the first thing. He was no longer concerned with the world's approval and now listen listen real carefully you see with, with Paul since since the world took a scourge a whip and unmercifully beat our Lord's back until it was just like raw hamburger y'all 
because that's what the world did to our Lord's back, you know what? Paul wasn't looking for the world to pat him on his back. And unlike us, he wasn't wanting any pat on the back from the world as well. Since, since the world took its hands and drove nails into the hands of the Lord's, you know, Paul wasn't looking for the world to take its hand and applaud him. He wasn't looking for the world to extend to him the right hand of fellowship. Unlike us, he wasn't wanting it either, unless it was an opportunity for the gospel. And since the world took its mouth and spit into the face of our Lord, you know what? Paul wasn't looking for the world to take its mouth to kiss him or to take its mouth and open it to laud him and praise him. And unlike us, he didn't want it either. He didn't want. I mean, if that's what it did to the Lord, why would, why would I want the world to take its mouth to do anything other than spit on me? Since the world hated our Lord, Paul wasn't looking for the world to love him. And unlike us, he didn't want it to. And he didn't court it. And he didn't flirt with it. The world's approval was absolutely a dead issue with Paul. It died when the world was crucified unto him. I'm asking you, have you been crucified with Christ? Are you still looking for the world's approval? And, and along with the death of the world's approval came the absolute absurdity of the world's wisdom. He was no longer concerned with the world's wisdom. Listen, that, that pagan Greek culture in Paul's day with its with its philosophical mindset, it thought that it was so smart and it sought to intimidate believers in Christ with their simple little childlike faith and pats them on the head. And you know what? One of the things that we do need to understand is that pagan Greek philosophical mindset has never left this planet and it's present on this planet right now about times 1,000 and what's sad is that most Christians today spend more time examining and researching and studying and learning and seeking the world's wisdom than they do the wisdom of God that's revealed in this book. But buddy, when the world had been crucified unto Paul, he saw the world's wisdom for what it was. He, he saw it as a bunch of godless Christless foolishness that was bent on casting doubt in people's mind and quenching their hope and denying that there's any absolute infallible standard anywhere. And listen, once the world had been crucified to Paul, he didn't spend another second of his time jiving around with the world's wisdom because he knew that the Lord had already exposed the world's wisdom for what it is. If you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 a second. Paul understood once he, once the cross had its rightful place in his life, man, he understood what was going on with this world's wisdom and, and, and what had happened with it already. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We, we were here a little bit earlier. Verse 18, Paul said, yeah, the world listens to the preaching of the cross and to them it's just a, a, an absolute bunch of foolishness. They, they, they think that we're just a, a bunch of mindless idiots. He says, unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. And he says, you know what, they, they got it all wrong. And he quotes the Lord, speaking in Isaiah 29 and verse 14, where the Lord prophesies, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And listen. Do you know when the prophecy that, that Paul's quoting here? Now, now the Lord 
he, he, he said that back in Isaiah 29 and verse 14 as, as a prophetic statement that there would be a time when the wisdom of the wise would be brought to nothing along with the understanding of the prudent that it would be destroyed and become absolutely nothing and do you know when you know when the prophecy was fulfilled y'all the first time somebody stood up and preached the fact that the only way that we can come to God is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ you know what happened with the first time that that message got proclaimed it destroyed the wisdom of this world and brought to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And you know what happens every time you and I take this book and we stand and we tell somebody that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins? You understand what's happening at that moment? It's destroying the wisdom of the wise and it's undoing and bringing to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And you know what I like about what's going on right now is that's what's happening in this room right now. It's bringing down the wisdom of the wise. It's destroying. It's bringing to nothing the understanding of the prudent. All the, the wisdom of the world being brought down in this room this morning. I like that. And because of that, Paul goes on in verse 20. And he asks, so where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, that's its wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God. You know what? God was just up in heaven grinning when he saw this whole thing coming down, man. Here they are in all their wisdom, thinking they're all that in a bag of chips. And God's up in heaven going, check it out. Watch this. And by the foolishness of preaching, he saved those that believe. And what he does is he brings to nothing the wisdom of the world and listen when the cross has its central place just like with Paul we will look at what this world glorifies and all the wisdom that it has and we're gonna look at that as a pile of hooey that's what happened in Paul's life it went right along with the, the, the world's approval the world's wisdom it was nothing but a a cold, bloody, lifeless, cursed corpse to Paul. And we could add to the list the world's pursuits. He was no longer concerned with the world's pursuits. Listen, as soon as Paul had seen the glory of the cross of Christ, listen, all the glory of the things of this world with all their glitz and with all their glitter and with all their shine and all their sparkle and all their pomp and whatever else once he saw the glory of the cross all of the world's glory just faded into absolute oblivion all of that stuff was nothing and you know what after the cross had its rightful place in the center of Paul's life, you, you know, some strange things started happening to him. He no longer cared about what kind of chariot it was going to be that was going to take him to the next city where he would go and get his brains beat out. It didn't matter if it was a Lexus or a Mercedes or a, a 1964 Ford Falcon. It, it, it didn't matter. Once the world had been crucified to him, you know what? He didn't care too much about spending three times for a shirt and a pair of pants that had somebody else's name on it to cover the nakedness of his body. See, that's what these things are for. He no longer cared about how many walls surrounded the bed where he pillowed his head at night so that the body could get the rest that it needed. He didn't care what was hanging on the walls. Didn't care what kind of furniture was pushed up against the walls. Listen, once the world was crucified unto him, things rust can corrupt and moths can eat and thieves break into, as Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen. They no longer had any appeal to him. Listen, he was dead to him. 
You, you get it? That no desire whatsoever, just, just dead. He, he saw all this, that stuff as nothing more than the bait that Satan had used to, to coax him into his snare when he was walking according to the course of this world. And because he had been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his dear son, you know what? Paul had come to the place where he wasn't about to take the bait again. And here we are as believers in the Laodicean age, snared to death by the same pile of trash that blinded us to who God is in the first place. Oh, I love what Spurgeon said. The world's light is darkness when the sun of righteousness shines from the tree. Amen? What care we for all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof when once we see the thorn-crowned Lord? And listen to this. There is more glory about one nail of the cross than about all the scepters of all kings. That's what Paul was talking about. The world was crucified unto him. And since it was, he no longer cared about the world's approval and the world's wisdom and the world's pursuits. And one more, he no longer had any desire or concern for the world's pleasures. You know what, folks? He didn't want the world to entertain him. He didn't want the world to amuse him. He didn't want it to pamper him, coddle him, comfort and charm him. He was dead and done with seeking its temporal pleasures. You see, when the cross is in its rightful place, you see those pleasures for what they are. They're temporal. And Paul says, listen, I'm, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. He says, I'm seeking the things above at the right hand of God. Listen to this, where Psalm 16 and, and verse 11 says, there are pleasures forevermore. I mean, if that's where the real pleasure is, then why in the world would we go back into that system to get the temporal Pleasures, but that's what we do, isn't it? You see, that's what it means for the world to be crucified unto you. The world is a despised, bloody, cold, lifeless, cursed corpse. And we no longer need its approval. We no longer need its wisdom. We no longer need or want its pursuits or its pleasures. It's anything. We don't want any of it because we're dead. Go back to Galatians chapter 14. Because remember, what we saw is the, the world is only one of the thieves that is crucified when the cross of Christ has its rightful place at the center of our lives and is our glory. And Paul goes on here in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 to talk about the crucifixion of the other thief on the other side of Christ's cross. On one side, like we talked about, Paul says, the world is crucified unto me. Okay, we got that now. On the other, he says, and I am crucified unto the world. And you know what he's saying? Now, he just, he just told you the way that he views the world. We've just spent the last half hour just looking at the way that Paul, once the cross had its rightful place, we, we've seen... How Paul looked at this world. And you know what, what Paul's saying now? He says, and the world doesn't see me any differently. The feeling is mutual. The world no longer recognizes me as part of its system. John 17, 14. Because as the same verse says, I'm no longer of it. It no longer sees me as its friend, James 4, 4 says. John 15, 19 says, it no longer loves me. It hates me now. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9 that we are made a spectacle unto the world. In, in other words, those who have the cross in its proper place are what the world uses to make fun of. They make sport of us. They make a spectacle, Paul said. They make a spectacle of us. And it gets, it gets a whole lot worse than that, folks. Listen, 1 Corinthians 4.13 says that we become the off-scouring of all things to this day as far as the world is concerned. Listen to it. The off-scouring of all things. I don't know if you men can relate to this story because you probably don't know what that square box is in the kitchen that cooks the food. It's called a stove. And and if you're not real careful, you know, you cook and you bake beans and all that kind of stuff and it starts bubbling over and it gets all that black trash down. You, you ladies know what I'm talking about? And so about once every 10 years or so, you get out the easy off. You know, you know, and you, you work it on, on that. And you know what starts to happen, you know? You let that sit on there for a while, and it, it starts kind of eating at all that black crud. And it, that foam starts getting that real pretty color, you know? That nice, yucky brown. And then you get out your Brillo pad, and you start working it. And the foam is, is really working. You know what I'm talking about? It, you wear gloves when you do this, not just because... The easy off would eat your fingers away. You do it because it's just so yucky, man. And you know, you know that that yuck that, that comes up. Paul says that's what I am to the world. I'm the, I'm the off scouring of the world. And what, what what do you do with with that yuck, ladies? You take it nice a cake with it. You know, pour a little Coke in this and it looks like it'd make a great float. You know what? I think the kids like this dip for chips, man. Would you... You, know, you know what you do with that yuck? You dispose of it. You, you get rid of it. You throw it out. You know why? Because it's disgusting. It's gross. It's worthless and nasty. Paul says... You know what? Ever since I got the cross in its rightful place, that's the way the world feels about me. And believe it or not, you know what? It gets worse. Paul adds in the same verse, 1 Corinthians 4.13, that not only are we made the off-scouring of the world, listen to this, but we are made as the filth of the world. And, and, and listen, I, I don't want to make what Paul was saying any more tactful and nice than what he meant. What he's saying is the world considers us that which is left behind when it relieves itself. We're nothing but a big pile of filth to the world. And you see... That's what you have to look forward to when the cross has its rightful place in the center of your life. But you know what's so cool about it? Is if the cross has its rightful place in your life, you don't give a rip. Because the, what we talked about first of all, the world is crucified unto you. It doesn't matter to you what they think. Listen, the only time it matters when, about what the world thinks is when you're not in the right relation to the cross. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15 and verse 19. He said the reason that the world hates us is for the simple fact that we are no longer of it. And as he said in John 7 and verse 7, it hates us because it hates him. And, and the fact is, folks, if the world loves you, if the world thinks you're wonderful, you know what? It's a telltale sign that you're still, what, 
of it. And if you want to know what it means to be of the world, it's very specifically defined for us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 5. Listen to it. 1 John 4 5 says, They are of the world, therefore, and he gives two things that are characteristic of people who are of the world. Number one, he says, they speak of the world. And number two, the world heareth them. Two things. If you still find yourself talking about the world, and you find that you still have influence in the world, the Bible says, not, not me, the Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 5, it's because you're of the world. And that's why you like to talk about it so much. And that's why it likes to listen to you so much. Because it doesn't recognize you as being anything different from itself. Now, now, now listen before you get to your roast and all the other. Listen. Christians today come together for what they call fellowship. And the reason they call it fellowship is because they're Christians and they're hanging out. And yet Christians get together and talk about the same exact stuff that the world talks about. And every once in a while, we'll talk about some event that's taking place down at the church. We're not talking about a different kingdom. We're not talking about eternal things. And what First John 4 or 5 says, it's, it's because we're of the world. And some of us are trying so desperately to get the world's approval, to get the world's wisdom so it'll think that we're cool. We're still living in pursuit of the world and its pleasures. You, you know what it's all a sign of? It's real basic. We've never taken up our cross. And if you've never taken up your cross, you're not a follower regardless of what you call yourself we've talked about these kind of things for many years now haven't we you know seeking the things which are above you can get dull of hearing after a while Paul says, wow, it was the most incredible thing in all the world. I started coming to the place to where I gloried in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that cross had the central place in my life. That cross was everything to me. His cross became my cross. And just as soon as it did, the world was crucified unto me over here. And I was crucified unto the world and the coolest thing is I was grinning about both of them. And what we are, have been talking about all morning is something very, very few Laodiceans understand at all. And the saddest reality probably of the morning is that I've told you more than I know. Because I'm a Laodicean. And this world is still yanking on me. And the reason I still feel it feel its pull is because I'm not crucified. When you're crucified, no more pull. No more desire. And I do realize that I lied to you last Sunday. I didn't mean to. 
But I lied. Because I told you that I was going to tell you how. And as I started to get into it, what I, what I felt like we needed to do is, is almost look at the end and see the result and let's, let's work ourselves backwards. And so now, next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll throw that in there. Lord willing, we're going to talk about how the cross actually comes to take that central place in your life to where you glory in it. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, the only way back into the relationship with the Father is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. It begins for every single person the same way. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It's not like we can all sit in here this morning and say, well, you know, the church that I attend, they don't, they don't teach it quite like that. Well, if, and I don't mean to sound harsh or cocky, if they don't teach it like that, then they're not teaching the Bible because that's what the Bible teaches. So please understand, it's not like... Well, how do you want to come back into a relationship with God? It doesn't matter how anybody wants to. There's only one way. And it's through Christ, through what He did on that cross. What He did is He took your sin. You see, that's the thing that separates you from God. And when you come to the place to where you will call on Him and Him alone, apart from anything that you can do or add or become or any church that you can be affiliated with or anything that you can eat or drink or be dunked in, you know, it doesn't matter. When you come to the place to where you want Christ and Christ alone, you believe that He's God, you believe that He alone took your sin and He's the only one that can do anything about it and you want Him to be sitting on the throne of your life at that point, your sin will be removed and you'll come into a relationship with God but what happens at that point and do understand is his cross becomes your cross and for the rest of your life you take his cross with you and if that sounds like I don't think I would ever like that you know what that's the trick of the devil because remember the power of the resurrection is manifest through dying And when you die on that cross, the release of the power of God in your life begins to show you the abundant life that is in Christ. It can be yours this morning. But to embrace Christ and to embrace that life, you must humble yourself because you're a sinner. And if you do not come to that cross, you will spend an eternity separated from God because of your sin. You desperately need a Savior. You desperately need His cross. And today, you can come to that cross and have your sin removed and enter into that relationship with God that you were created to have. Our pastors are going to be on either side of the front of this room as we're dismissed in just a second. And we'd be more than happy to talk to you, to answer any questions you may have. If you're a a female, we'll have them get a a woman that you can talk with, you can be comfortable with. We'd love, if God is at work in your life today, we'd love to share with you who Christ is and and what He can do in your life today. And, And listen, the Bible says, today, listen, today if you hear his voice harden not your heart and understand that that voice that you will hear is not an audible voice but it's the tug down inside of your being that shows you your sinfulness and your need of a savior that's the voice of God as a 16 year old teenager I can tell you what that voice did to me my insides were shaken. I wanted to get rid of my sin. And I wanted Jesus Christ in there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It can happen for you today. We pray that it will. Let's bow our heads.
And Lord, we pray right now for those that are in our midst that need to come to Your cross to find salvation. We pray this morning that that even now, the Spirit of God will work to convict of sin and of, of righteousness and of judgment. Pray, Father, that you would you would draw people to yourself. Pray that people would humble themselves to come before you to call upon your name today. Lord, the vast majority of us in this room today do claim to be your followers. And yet, I feel quite certain that the vast majority of us do not know experientially the truths that Paul talked about in Galatians 6.14. But Lord, we, we come to You this morning in surrender of ourselves. We voluntarily and willfully, purposely lay our lives down upon Your cross to receive the nails in our hands and our feet that we may know the dying of the Lord Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus might be made manifest through our body. Lord, may the cross have the place of preeminence and glory and centrality in our life, so that the world is crucified unto us and us unto the world. Lord, may that be a reality. And those of us that know you, may it be a reality today. And as we enter into this this next week. And again, Lord, work in the hearts of those that are here today that need to know you. I pray that they would respond before leaving this property today. In Jesus' name, amen.